0: What is up world, it's Mark here, back with another episode of the Sensory Corner where we talk about everything sensory parenting and occupation related. This podcast is being brought to you guys by Sense of Minds, and if you're just tuning in, we're basically talking to various specialists and therapists in the field so that you parents can understand how to best support your child throughout their learning, growth, and development anyways I'm gonna jump right into it so today's topic we're gonna to be talking about certain recommendations to help develop your child's speech and language but these aren't recommendations which are like way out there no these are little things you can implement in your day-to-day lives so that you can boost your child's development incrementally over the you know over the days over the weeks and even years especially during that zero to five age range to really refine their speech and language you see At the end of sessions and assessments, SLPs will oftentimes give parents recommendations to help with their child's speech and language development. That's normal. And these tips oftentimes will differ between child to child. So obviously, you want to be able to consult with your own SLP. But on this podcast, we brought on an SLP herself. Her name is Shannon Briggs. She's part of the SLP Corner, and she'll be going over some very common and helpful tips, uh, many of which come from the Hannon Program and the Early Start Denver model to help your child Develop their overall interactions and ways of communicating with you as they progress on throughout the years. Anyways, that's enough for me. Let's just jump right into it. Whenever you try and work on both speech and language, and this goes with any therapy practice, uh, there, there needs to be a, not a lot of work, but there needs to be work done at home, you know, with the parents. And if you were to kind of go back through your case, so it's like, what are, what are the main things we, you wish your parents? I mean, your parents, as in the parents of the caseload, uh, would have worked on with their children? what are some things they can do at home in order to not only set their child up for success, but if they do enter your, you know, your office or your room as an SLP, how can they set you up for success as well?
1: So, yeah, there's a bunch of recommendations that I often give parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if I'm going to talk about language, there's a lot you could do with language, Um, one overarching thing is I always tell parents to try to reduce or remove distractions, try to have distraction free time every day that can help so much with just, it's so common for a TV to be on, or there's lots of kids in the background and it's really noisy and loud and just kind of calming the environment down and having a, like, if you're having a family dinner, just have it quiet and everyone can sit at the table and talk that in itself can really help children because if they're already struggling with speech and language having all the distractions turned off around them can already be just setting them up for success basically Mm -hmm. um and then a big thing i tell parents is to be a sports broadcaster so
0: interesting what do
1: you mean i basically mean what does a sports broadcaster do they model they they are saying what's going on and so when i say sports broadcaster i want you to model language so when i say be a sports broadcaster i just mean to model language so you don't need to be directly teaching language explicitly but when you're going about your routine or you're in the grocery store or you are playing with your child or you're making dinner just talk about what you're doing so you can say oh I am washing my hands wash 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 now I'm getting the soap and you can- <laughs>
0: yep.
1: I am so used to that now when I'm with kids I just kind of talk about everything I'm doing because they are getting so much information if you talk like that all of the time they are getting so much information they're learning what you're referring to because you're talking about what you're doing so they're yeah. there's a model they're hearing it and Kids need to hear words sometimes hundreds of times before they can understand enough to produce it. Mm -hmm. So if you model that much around a child, that was going to help them so much. So if that's, if there's one thing you can do, just model language around them. That's going to help them in their language development immensely instead of um, silently going through the tasks, just talking about it.
0: Definitely. I I love that. Yeah. Because, sorry, it's... It's a really weird perspective coming from an SLP and comparing it to an OT, because OTs, at least the ones I've spoken to, they all, they're all big proponents of visual modeling, showing the kid how to do something. But then from your perspective, you're coming at it from, if you're doing something, make sure you also narrate it almost. You, you say yeah. what you're doing to the child. Yeah. And it, it's really cool how those two worlds kind of collide and both of you achieve the same thing almost. However, you both have a different focus. And obviously that, that makes sense, but you're, you're so right. That that whole broadcaster mentality, that that's something which I'm going to now use if I have a kid. I, I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Modeling is so important and it's amazing how much can be done by just, just modeling language or routines. <laughs> Like video modeling is so often used in therapy when a a child seems to be having challenges understanding a certain concept. So maybe a child with autism is having a hard time understanding why they shouldn't yell in circle time. Playing a video and showing showing them, like they can actually see and learn what happens when they yell in circle time and how some kids are getting distracted versus circle time when it's very quiet. It nice and calm showing mm-hmm. that model helps kids so much and if you think about it I think I think modeling helps everyone like I learned definitely from <laughs> you know, when someone really explains it it's like of course it'll help kids it helps everyone
0: definitely uh, what this reminds me of is um I, I think yeah you obviously know what these are social stories
1: yeah
0: yeah and yeah. I, I don't know if Yeah, I don't know if parents out there are aware of what a social story is, but usually they they're little visual stories, and apparently there's a certain sentence structure to them. I I, I'm not too I wasn't too aware of how the sentences should be structured within the social stories, but basically they teach certain skills to children in a fun and engaging way because it not only provides a picture which they can not only mimic but also forces the reader to give them an instruction. It narrates the overall action.
1: Yeah, no, it's um it breaks down a task into a sequence of events with images that a child can read from almost a different point of view or perspective so they can learn it through the language and the images and it it just really breaks down into like we break it down sentence by sentence into what goes into a certain situation so I just posted uh, an example of a social story on my Instagram the other day about change which I thought was pretty relevant Mm -hmm. for what I love that post
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so yeah, like social stories could be for change. They could be for learning to wash your hands. They could be for um, walking on the sidewalk and making sure you look both ways before you cross the street. So social stories I think are so, so key. They're really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I don't want to go too deep into social stories, but you know, if a parent wanted to make a social story for their own child, you know, say they want to draw something out for their own kid. Uh, What are some tips you have on how to, you know, structure those sentences within the social story? I know there's a whole lot which kind of goes into it. I just remember hearing a few things where it's like, you shouldn't tell a child to do something, but more so frame the story in such a way where it's being modeled to them. It's like, this person's doing this or this person, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, First and foremost, I would say the SLP can make the story for the certain, that's probably the best bet because- There's actually a bit of background training that goes into creating a social story to make it effective that Mm -hmm. it's probably worth um, having your SLP, like talking about what you'd want your social story. And I know a lot of SLPs will create the social story and give it to the parent. That's
0: probably
1: your best bet just because they are pretty complex. Like I just bought the textbook for social stories. There's lots of work. Oh my
0: gosh. (laughs) Yeah.
1: and, And there's just so much that goes into them that it's probably... More effective and easier for the parent too, because that's such a learning curve. To just um, share with your SLP what what you're wanting to the social story to be to be on, or what you think could the social story could be on. Carol Gray is the she is the creator of social stories. So just googling Carol Gray social stories probably would come up with like so much information on that in itself. Mm-hmm. If people want to look more into it and the background on it and stuff.
0: So make sure you talk to your SLP about social stories yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the experts so well, we've been talking about how we talk to children or how an SLP or parents should be talking to children but when a child reaches that stage where they're now interacting with you they're now speaking to you how exactly do you you know capture those moments how how do you capitalize on those moments to ensure that they're also learning when they're interacting with you no longer just listening yeah
1: um so first I would say if so if the child is talking a lot, first, there's a few things. One, I would just generally try to follow their lead. And mm-hmm. what are they interested in? Try to try to have discussions about what they're already interested in, and then they're more likely to want to talk about it. So if they're playing with puzzles, and they're really into puzzles and talking about puzzles, it's probably not the best time to bring out coloring and want to talk about coloring. So <laughs> follow their lead and think like, what are they interested in? What? What's the most likely topic of discussion or what can we play that's going to result in them with um, like talking the most? And it's probably going to okay. be already. The other thing is try to refrain from telling children to say the words, just say, say this or say my name, say, telling them to say things or yeah. asking them questions like, what's this? What's that? Where did the dog go? What all of that really, really, Decreases the amount of output they're going to have. There was a study that um, these really, yeah, these wow, that in a preschool classroom, and they wanted to see, like, how are these little kids talking? We want to know how they communicate with each other. And they found that the biggest way the children talked was not through questions and it wasn't through giving directions, which is how parents or adults naturally might communicate with a small child but it's that they comment on everything so yeah so that's how these preschoolers are there that's how they talk to each other they'll say john has a sandwich i'm eating a carrot they just comment they don't ask a lot of questions (laughs) they they don't tell kids to do things they just kind of comment on what they're seeing so that's probably the best way to get output for output from a preschooler is get so now we know how they talk let's talk like them and we'll probably get a lot more output so i often say like oh i have a blue car and it looks like you have a and then you could pause and then they might be like i have a red car and now you're not saying what car do you have because that question can really stop them because it puts them on the spot and then they might feel like
0: um, the reason why i'm smiling is because when i was younger my mom used to tell me this story how i used to make a comment all the time and what ended up happening was I was at a party <laughs> and I came up to my aunt and I made a comment about her and I was like you're wearing too much makeup and I just walked away and she just like her jaw was dropped she just looked at my aunt she looked at my mom she's like did he seriously just say that? <laughs> yeah, that's the- I was like <laughs> I was like oh no I looked back on it I was like I, I, I honestly don't know what else I would have said it was truth <laughs> yeah, was- when I was when
1: I was little my mom told me that I Whenever she would put makeup on, I would say, You look more awake now. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks. Thank you so much. <laughs> but yeah. They they comment on things like what
0: they see, they just comment on it. <laughs> Honestly, I think a lot of males are just like inner children inside because they just comment on everything, even though it's not <laughs> warranted. <Yeah. laughs> you look stressed out today, by the way. Don't say that, guys. That's just something I've learned.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: here today. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that? <laughs> absolutely rude. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um. No, but yeah, that, I love that. I love the fact that not just commenting. I think I heard hints of like mirroring almost or repeating what they're doing. Is that, is that something which SLPs also like to implement? That's just me trying to pull an inference from what you said.
1: Yeah. Um, so if, yeah, repeating back what a child says, so, or with their language, if they make an error, like if they say, she go there, you could repeat back, but you could make that indirect correction, and you could say she went there, and really emphasize the correct form. So it, it can be really helpful to just repeat back what they're saying when the correct form, and avoid saying no, that's not it, or bringing awareness to the to their error, and just indirectly correct them. As this is a, this is when they're very young. Um, mm-hmm. With all of these recommendations, it's of course best to follow suit with what your SLP has said so if you're working on something else just disclaimer
0: no definitely
1: <laughs> on that but these are ways you can help facilitate language
0: when you're at home yeah that's so interesting yeah I, I love that I, I love the idea that even just mirroring a child can, can do so much it, I, I feel like it's a very big misconception asking children questions can help develop their language I didn't know that there was research behind it which yeah. um would show that it would inhibit that child's development in not only speech and language. And it makes sense. You're putting, you're you're placing that anxiety on them, putting them on the spot. Um, Damn. (laughs) I literally learned something new every single one of these podcasts. I love it. I absolutely love it. So uh, you said something earlier on in this podcast. I just want to make sure. So what exactly is the match plus one or match plus two uh, type of method when interacting with children?
1: Yeah, so the match plus one, I it's called match plus one. I like um, a lot of us. Please call it match plus one or two because it's often like hard to just add one word onto a sentence. Sometimes, gotcha. two. but it's mm-hmm. basically just getting at that child's level of language and then mm-hmm. repeating back what they're saying, but adding on a little bit more to the sentence. So they're just getting a bit of a a model that's going to further develop their language with information that they might not have. So okay. for an example, if, if the child says. Um water or water cup. The mom could say water in your cup. Okay. Adding on or dog run. The dog is running. Or the brown dog is running. So just adding on to what
0: oh. okay. And yeah. you know, but try not to ramp it up to this mad complex level where kid won't be able to follow along whatsoever. Like don't do yeah. that.
1: Yeah, like, okay. sometimes, yeah, the, and they'll say, like, yeah, I'm running around the block. It's so fast. I can't believe it. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, that child is, that was just way too
0: intense.
1: <laughs> yeah, so trying to get on, want to get on their level, mm-hmm. but make it a little bit more complex.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I something I hear a lot in the community in the SLP community is this idea of perspective talking can you can you run me a little bit more through that and what that would look like for the, for a parent talking to their child
1: perspective taking
0: yeah perspective taking yeah
1: yeah so first just to make sure we're all on the same page with what perspective taking is yeah perspective taking is basically the ability to understand someone else's point of view and okay. it's a Part of theory of mind. So, theory of mind is often something that children with autism really struggle with, and usually, theory of mind is like relatively well developed around the age of four. But perspective taking is a component of theory of mind, and it begins to develop very early on. So, whenever I explain perspective taking to anyone, I really like to talk about this experiment because I think it's (laughs) and I think it really it shows how young children, typically developing children, are. Mastering the skill. Um, basically, these researchers looked at. It's called the broccoli cracker experiment. If you want, if anyone wants to look into it,
0: broccoli like, cracker experiment.
1: Yeah. Um, the, and they, the researchers looked at 14 month olds and 18 month olds, and they wanted to see if these, if these 14 month olds and these 18 month olds understood what, like, if they could perspective take, they could take on someone else's perspective. So, the researchers with the 14 month olds, they would take the crackers because all the kids preferred the crackers over the broccoli. So they would take the crackers and they would go, Ew, I, I don't like crackers. Crackers are gross. And then they put the crackers down on the table and then they would take the broccoli and they'd go, I love broccoli. Broccoli is so delicious. Yum. Broccoli amazing. And then they put it on the table. And they would look at the child and they would say, can I have one? And they found that. So they wanted to see All the kids preferred the crackers, but they know I like the broccoli. Can the child put themselves in my shoes and think, well, I like crackers, but this person seems to like broccoli. So they want one, I'll give them what they want. And they found that 14 month olds would just give them the crackers every time because they didn't understand that not want the, like they want the broccoli, but 18 month olds. So not even two years old yet, they would always give like they would on average, always give the broccoli. So they understand. Yeah, so that's so young. Like that is a very young age to understand that we don't have the same wants. Like we want different things and I'll give you what you want. Interesting. So I hope that explains kind of what perspective taking is in the first place. (laughs) Does that make sense?
0: No, definitely. So it it seems like the perspective taking has happened on both ends then so if the parent is interacting with their child and they decide to you know put themselves into the shoes of their child and then you know as as in this experiment they, they put themselves into the shoes of these 18 month or 12 month old children and said oh my gosh I love this broccoli I don't like this carrot, cracker now that that child's now trying to put themselves into the parent's shoes that oh, wow I didn't realize that type of connection was happening
1: yeah. So, eighteen months, the child understood that just because I like crackers, I understand that you don't like it. But at fourteen months old, at fourteen months, they didn't understand that. So they would just think, "I like crackers. We must all like crackers." Here's crackers. Okay. But then that is one component of theory of mind, which continues to develop onwards um, until, like, around the age of four. It's pretty
0: wonderful. definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so so
1: it's really challenging for children with autism, especially.
0: Ah, okay. And how exactly can this manifest itself into the everyday lives of a parent then? Because obviously, they're not going to be faced with broccoli and crackers all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, So how you could work on perspective-taking development at home is two ways. Um, Sharing your opinions and your feelings openly and regularly. So, for example, if especially when they differ from your child. So if you and your child are playing a game and the child says, I'm all done
0: instead of agreeing like, okay, we're all done.
1: You could share your opinion and your feeling you'd say, Oh, you're feeling like you're all done, but I'm feeling like I want one more turn. So now you're showing them that that's your feeling, but I have a different feeling and we can have different feelings and that's okay. So it's just kind of exposing them to the fact that we all feel the same way. Like I have different feelings and ideas and wants than you. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one way. And then another way is to just, um, or another example that with that, that my mom actually <laughs> told me on FaceTime, which I thought was so cute. And I remember thinking this went so well perspective taking was she is babysitting my nephew and she mm-hmm. went into the TV room and she said, okay, um, like all done TV time to eat. And he was like, he just looked so upset. And she thought, Oh, I totally didn't even warn her or anything. So she was like, Oh, you're feeling. And then she tried to explain how they had different feelings. So she was like, your feeling is that you want to watch more TV, but I'm feeling like I'm ready for us to have our snack. We don't have the same feeling, but you can have two more minutes of the TV and then we can have our snack. So just modeling, like, we don't agree. There's a clash of feelings and this can really help because perspective taking is so important when you're going into school because mm-hmm. you're sharing and getting along with other kids so it's just important to model those thought processes
0: wow that's so so interesting i didn't I, I really want to dig a bit more deeper into that so when when there is a clash of you know ideas especially when you're trying to communicate that to a child like that that's that's even a struggle for some individuals of whom are our age, you know what I mean? And when they have a clash of opinions, uh, sometimes it can just come at a standstill and then communication just stops. How exactly do you find some resolve in that conversation, at least for the child, which makes sense for them so that you're able to find some common ground, some mid-ground with them, or at least achieve what you wanted to achieve with the child and help them feel like they're more empowered as well? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I think like when you are sharing your opinions and your feelings when they differ, it's important to... You want to frame it in a positive way. Like, just because we have different feelings doesn't mean it's wrong or bad or what we're doing isn't fun anymore. Oftentimes, it can be even better. Like, so if you're building a castle and with blocks, and the child says, I want the whole castle to be yellow, and they struggle with perspective taking, then you could model, Oh, I really wanted the castle to be yellow and red. And then see where they go with that. So if they're thinking, mm, I, if they struggle with perspective taking, and they are having a hard time, you could maybe model building your castle up and you could say, see, I really want it to be yellow and red. And you could show them, or you could try to work together to, to compromise. Cause you, you want it to be fun. And, and if, if you feel like it's going to be a power struggle or it's going to be something negative, just remember like why What, what am I doing and why am I doing it? I'm modeling just so they can have that exposure and maybe five times, the exposure is going to maybe click a little bit more and then we can move forward with it. So at the end of the day, if if you're just modeling that you have a different feeling, you don't always need to win every, like choose your battles. You don't need to win every instance of a different opinion, but just saying (laughs) you have a different one can make a huge difference in their understanding.
0: Definitely. To dig a bit more into that then. When trying to compromise, obviously, that that's such a complex topic, even now. I, I keep saying it. <laughs> People have a hard time trying to compromise even at our age. Uh, for a child, how exactly do you set them up for success? Uh, how do you allow them or provide them with that opportunity to compromise so that they can practice and flex those skills of theirs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of different tools you could you could use. Um, giving children warnings before transitions. Um you could give them options of tasks. You try to frame it in a positive way. So it's not like a loss. It's like, here's options. We're going to be done this activity. And you you always just want to think, how can I set them up for success? Yes. So showing them a visual timer that there's five minutes left and maybe, maybe they'll be upset, but they can see it and they can visualize it. That's, a, that's better than just saying five minutes left. So trying to like break down what you're doing so <laughs> it can be framed as something that they can understand and that it's like fair. And so sometimes just explaining why there's five minutes left. So oh, okay. Why, trying to, because sometimes children are upset because they don't understand why in the first place they even have to stop playing. So then explaining why and what could come of it if we don't really really Explaining the outcomes if if certain things don't happen can help. I remember um, there was this one child in the clinic that I had a placement at last semester, and they were really upset when the mom had her Google Maps on, and. And like, they would get anxious because they would see how long it would take on the Google maps and they would see it. And they'd be like, they'd start getting very anxious because they were thinking like, it's going to take so long to get there. Why is it taking so long? And they'd start getting really, really anxious in the car.
0: Uh So then
1: then the, uh, and they, I guess they had a hard time understanding why is it taking so long? And then they could see the time and they were, I think they were like six or seven and they had autism and an OT at the clinic was like, do they understand why driving in the car With traffic takes a long time. Like, do they do they get that? Because maybe if we explain to them why it's even taking a long time in the first place, then they'll be better. uh, They'll better understand that whole concept of driving.
0: Uh
1: Showed them on Google Maps, and she explained how. At like she is, it seems complex, but the child understood, and they were totally fine driving the car after for long periods of time. She basically showed them how. At a certain time, everyone's getting into their cars. When they're getting into the cars, the roads get really busy. Certain roads get clogged up and all the cars slow down and stop moving. And she explained all of that and she drew it out. She showed it on Google Maps. And the child was like, oh, I get it. So it's like so often just explaining the why is going to diffuse the challenge in the first place. I, I
0: get <laughs> No, it's fine. It's I, I can't help but smile because... <laughs> I, I keep saying it, but people our age struggle to communicate and, you know, mm-hmm. studying expectations is so, so important, especially at our age, let alone being a child. And I, the reason why I was, I was quiet during that moment was because the gears were turning in my head and I started really reflecting as to why I set expectations in my own life. And it's because, you know, those expectations are a reflection of how I'm feeling in that moment and how I'm trying to regulate and how I'm trying to set a standard communicating that to the other party so that they're able to you know be mindful be aware and more so take into consideration what I'm what I'm going through what I expect what I feel and everybody's able to reach a happy medium from that point on it's no different with children and you know I, I never really thought of about that it's almost as if that traffic thing the, the mom kind of came up with her own social story as well for her own child to really yeah, communicate. Totally.
1: Yeah, that, I, yeah. I was thinking that social stories are so useful in those instances because it breaks down the why behind what, what what's going on.
0: Definitely. He could literally have a social story for anything.
1: <laughs> Actually, like they, yes, I strongly believe that.
0: <laughs> um, so with all that and done, so all of these things which parents can do to help develop that speech and language, um. Well, how can you prepare your child for, you know, social interactions? How can you build up those social communication skills? Really trying to bring everything full circle so that, you know, come time for, you know, your child when they're in grade two or three and they're interacting with children and they're having far more expansive conversations. I don't know if that's the right term. Um, You know, I I, I don't really know where I'm going with this one, actually.
1: Talking about developing social communication. Yeah. 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 Um, So, So when first, when we think about social communication, it's it's like, what is it, if some parents are wondering? And basically, social communication, it involves all of the unspoken parts of language. So gestures, facial expressions, tone, all of that goes into social communication. And that's often something children with autism can struggle with because they aren't maybe aren't picking up on those gestures or that non-verbal language. So mm-hmm. it's really important to develop. And I think it's important to develop for all kids. There's lots of different tools you can use. One thing that like the idea of whole body listening. So teaching that- Whole
0: body listening.
1: Yeah, I really like whole body listening because it kind of breaks down what is listening. And it's like whole body listening is, it's not just listening with your ears. It's mm-hmm. speaking with your brain looking with your eyes it's calm like you're being calm with your body so just teaching the idea behind whole body listening to set them up for success in learning those more complex aspects of language in the first place to be able Mm -hmm. to see those gestures and and kind of see the full picture of what's going on and then there are other ways um like people games Mm -hmm. hannon the hannon parent program calls the people games the Denver sensory social routines parents might be more familiar with those two terms because they're often early intervention approaches that clinicians use um yeah. but people games are basically there's object games and people games so people games are when they yeah there's no object involved and it's just to the, your the child and you or the child and multiple people but it's very social and so you could be singing a song you could be like playing pat a cake, you could be um, you could be rhyming with them. You could be dancing with them. Anything where it's just you and the child. So their point of reference is going to be up at you. This is contrasted with object games, where there you're playing with an object. So then this can make social communication a bit more challenging because they're going to be referencing maybe the object more than the person that they're playing with.
0: Ah, uh, so they're no longer interacting as much with the person.
1: Yeah. And oh, okay. not to say one's better than the other, but I, Definitely. in theory, we like to mix it up. So it's an object game, then it's a people game, then it's an object game. And if you're playing an object game, you can just raise up the activity. So often if you're playing on the ground and the point of reference is going to be looking down, if you raise it up onto a table, now they're going to be glancing up more and they're going to be looking at you and they're going to be picking up on those social cues.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that can be a helpful tool. And then I I just love songs and therapy and like removing excess toys and distractions, because then it's really more like that back and forth. And you're really developing that type of like communication between you and the child.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. and It it, it all seems like this is, there's a natural flow to it. You're not really trying to force anything, but you're more so just trying to set up the stage up in such a way where the child is going to communicate with you the most, if that makes sense. You're not trying to force them to give you the most. You're not trying to wring them out of all the words they can say. You're yeah. giving them those opportunities to speak. I love that.
1: Yeah, I just want to set them up for success mm-hmm. and try to work on their their all the strengths that they already have and where their motivation already is, and that's going to lead to the best learning.
0: Mm-hmm. So just to sum up this podcast then, so you, you, you went over a bunch of different types of uh, tips for parents in terms of how they can communicate with their children to really develop that speech and language. So just to kind of go over everything you said, like reduce and remove distractions so that they're more so just focused on you, right? Yeah. Um, so follow your child's lead as well. So you really want to mirror what they're doing and more so get down on their level and meet them where they're at so that you know they have the most context as to what to communicate about whenever you interact with them uh, am i following along correctly this is more so just kind of act as like a checklist for the parents <laughs> yep. yeah. yeah um being a sports broadcaster absolutely love that uh if you were to give like an example of being a sports broadcaster for us <laughs> like what would that sound like
1: um yeah so if i was playing blocks with a child i might yeah. say I would just start modeling what I'm doing with the blocks. So this is a really good way to take the pressure off of the child, but still exposing mm-hmm. the language so I could say, I'm building blocks. I have a blue block. I have a yellow block. I'm putting my block on top of this block. Now I'm putting the blue block on top of the yellow block. I'm going to crash all the blocks down. Three, two, one, crash. Like just <laughs> literally saying everything you're doing. And to some people, like you might think that sounds... Crazy. That person is crazy. What they're literally saying, every single thing they're doing, but it's so helpful for kids and it exposes them to so much language that they otherwise wouldn't have received.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think something which I picked up on that as well is you, you keep a very positive tone to when you speak with children. It's very, you know, it's very uppity almost. <laughs> There's like a lot of energy behind it. And like it gets me all giddy inside. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I feel positive. Is that intentional? Um, or is that just something which happens?
1: Yeah. So that that you picked up on is called child-directed speech. Okay. And basically, child-directed speech. To some parents, it comes natural. To some, it doesn't. It's fine if it doesn't. Um, but basically, it's when you're speaking slowly. You're increasing your pitch, and mm-hmm. you're speaking clearly. And usually, you're speaking a bit louder. And mm-hmm. that, and research has shown that a child will listen, like way longer to an adult when they're speaking in child-directed speech than when they're speaking in a regular adult tone. So it's really helpful oh. for longer periods of time. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: I didn't, I didn't know there was a word for it. I didn't know it was child-directed speech. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: no.
0: um, I know this is kind of unrelated, but on the flip side, how exactly do you get a child to communicate or understand how to communicate to a negative tone? Um, and I know that kind of ties into social communication cues or commu- social communication skills, understanding when somebody's positive or negative. Um, is that something SLPs focus in on um, in those early on stages, like letting a child understand when somebody's is not in the happy state or in the child-directed tone, if that makes sense? Yeah,
1: um, like understanding if someone's feeling happy or feeling upset, a- or is that yeah, yeah. what you or- Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so some children they'll pick up on this naturally but um children with autism it often is something that should be explicitly taught and oh, there's lots of okay. ways can talk about different emotions so you could read a story and when you're reading the story you could pause and you could say this person looks really happy i wonder why they're feeling happy and you could brainstorm together why they're feeling happy or um i i love printing emojis and <laughs> And because kids love emojis and kind of just walking through different facial expressions because there's so many facial expressions with emojis and
0: so many. (laughs)
1: So many and talking about like what is this person feeling like and really just having those discussions and getting pick up on the cues. Like I think they're sad. And I'm like, why do they look sad? Oh, because their eyes look like they look like they're watery and their mouths turning downwards and just breaking breaking down certain emotions that can feel really complex for some kids
0: wow and you know through each time you break it down or you repeat something to them and that's something which you've also said throughout this podcast it's almost as if like during those those first early on stages you can see those connections being built up in their brain (laughs) okay now they understand what it looks like to be sad
1: yeah (laughs) understanding that some kids do need that to be explicitly taught and that's okay. Like with, the, with modeling and with explicit teaching, there can be so much progress.
0: Man, it, it, it's so weird. This is kind of like a side tangent, but this is just the engineer in me speaking. So, whenever we create like little programs for a computer, so with machine learning, uh, the machine, the way you guys break down how those neural pathways in children are built up through the exercises you do is exactly how computers learn. How to interact with us humans. And that's like with things like Siri or AI. I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna nerd out too much on you guys, but every, they focus on every single thing. They'll break down every single aspect. So if they're trying to analyze a photo, they're gonna look at the angle of your mouth. And then if they see that the angle of the mouth at the fringes of the lips are more than, you know, 80 degrees from, you know, midline. Uh, people can't see my face here. So this is probably <laughs> sound like jargon. Um, <laughs> The computer will come up and say this has an 89% chance that this person's sad. <laughs> you know, and it, it's amazing to see how children are also breaking things down in that sense and how that yeah. crossover into the yeah. technology world. <laughs>
1: yeah, we, we all are really. We just we don't we do it subconsciously.
0: Definitely. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um a few other things you mentioned is match one plus m- match match one or two. Match. match-
1: yeah, match, plus, match one.
0: plus one I man I don't know why I'm not getting the hang of that I love that match plus okay. one. yeah and that's like going just a tad like just going a level up from the sentence the child has said so just repeating what they said but just trying to add a bit more complexity to it yeah. to give more context cool cool and then repeating people games um, <clears throat> perspective taking that one blew my mind and uh, you know the the reason why I'm going through all of these is because I'm learning more and more stuff from this <laughs> from this podcast and ways I should be communicating to people because I know these are very, I don't want to say, you know, I, they're, they're not just meant for younger children. You know what I mean? Like these apply throughout our everyday lives. <laughs> totally.
1: I say that with, with so many things. It's like, it doesn't just apply to kids or it doesn't just apply to kids with special needs because it's kind of <laughs> like, would you like if someone asked you a million questions and didn't say this, say this, say this? No, like no one likes to put on the spot, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of these things goes, they go for everyone really like.
0: No, definitely. Uh, another side tangent. It was the whole idea that, you know, I forgot who told me this, but if somebody was to place me at a very young age into an area where I didn't understand anybody and I didn't know what anybody was saying, the likelihood of me breaking down—I <laughs> break down a lot, just not it? <laughs> uh, but the likelihood of me breaking down or having, you know, a meltdown is very high because I would go crazy if everybody was talking to me. I didn't know what they were saying. I had no context, and you know, it really puts into perspective how important your role as an SLP is. And that just yeah. hit me like a truck right now. Holy crap! There's so many implications behind developing that speech and language so your child is set up for success and they don't feel lost in a world which is going at 100 miles per hour around them
1: yeah yeah the importance of speech and language like can't be can't be like it can't be emphasized enough
0: definitely and then just to wrap it all up keep it natural (laughs) fun. keep it fun just talk to your child as you would talk to anybody else Again, don't ask too many questions. Just try and mirror repeat. There, again, you can listen to the whole podcast. I already said it, all of it. <laughs> Anyways, that wraps up today's podcast, um, talking about how to develop speech and language within your child as a parent, and more so how um, different activities and more so strategies can be implemented by your SLP uh, can truly help your child in their development as well. Anyways, thank you so much, Shannon. This has been super, super helpful. Uh, I'm just going to do a few shameless plugs like we always do in every podcast. (laughs) Uh, So be sure to check out Shannon on her blog. That's the slpcorner.com. She has a ton of information and a bunch of blogs which go over all the topics, especially the one we just talked about today, uh, which help break this down, should you ever forget. You just want to read through something, you don't want to listen to my voice on this podcast. <laughs> uh, on top of that, though, she also posts a bunch of tips on her social media, especially on her Instagram. So be sure to give her a follow. That's SLP Corner, uh, fairly self explanatory S L P C O R N E R. And if you want to tune into this podcast, be sure to not only subscribe to our podcast, but also to subscribe to her podcast, which is the SLP Corner. Find her on Apple Podcasts as well. Um, the reason why I'm sharing all this is because. I honestly think you're a super great resource for parents out there. And I really wish more more people can hear what you have to say because your perspective is not only super clear, but it's extremely useful. And you break it down in a way where a normal Joe like me can just understand just like right from the get-go. And I love it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. That's
0: really nice to hear. Awesome. Cool, cool. Anyways, that's all for today. This is The Censored Corner. I'm your host, Mark. Thank you so much. Peace, guys. You've just been tuned in to the Sensory Corner, a podcast surrounding all things sensory, parenting, and occupation-related. This podcast is being brought to you by Senso Minds. Senso Minds is dedicated to designing and creating new sensory kits and sensory toys for your child to gain the stimulation they need in order to better integrate into the world around them. If you like what you hear, make sure you give us a follow on our Instagram and social media handles. Just search us up on Facebook or Instagram at Sensominds, S-E-N-S-O-M-I-N-D-S. Also, if you liked what you hear and want to keep tuning in, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening from. It really does help us reach a larger audience and help more parents out there. Thank you so much. This is Mark signing off. Goodbye.